Welcome to the Run for God Run Club, where you will find God in a runner's space. Welcome to the Run for God Run Club. This is your one stop each week to be motivated and inspired to get off the couch and on to the running trail where you can in turn inspire others to do the same. Let's learn, laugh, and leap into running together, giving God the glory for what we are able to do in His name. Amen. I am your running host, Dean Thompson. As always, I am joined by Run for God founder, Mitchell Hollis. This week, we're changing things up a bit, uh, but we have something exciting to share, don't we? Yeah, absolutely. We're... uh, we're going to do something similar to what we did a, a couple of weeks ago mm-hmm. when we had Ryan Hall and we, we uh, interviewed him and did some things. Well, we've interviewed Dean Carnazis, or Carnazis, I think is yeah. the proper way to say his name. And um, we're going to share that video. Yeah. That's a crazy guy. He, Dean, he's fascinating. Um, <laughs> you know, I, his book, uh, Ultra Marathon Man, was probably one of the first running books that I ever re- read. And uh, to read the stories about him of carrying pizzas while he's running to eat and just, you know, I I love hardcore stuff anyway. So he's just a fascinating guy. I think everybody's going to love this interview. Yeah, yeah. You know, we we talk about ultra marathon, and and for us, we've been around ultra marathon a long time. For me, I've been around ultra ultra marathon for a very long time. Uh, We take that word and we think, well, everybody knows what ultra marathon is is but i don't think everybody understands what an ultra marathon is so i don't don't think they do i mean ultra marathon is anything over technically anything over 26.2 miles is technically an ultra marathon but but don't let that fool you because for dean that's a that's a sunday walk in the park um (laughs) this guy's ran over you know right at 350 miles at one time without sleeping so uh that's maybe that's the ultra of the ultra marathons uh, that's the crazy people let's yeah, just say that that's yeah. it you're that's the bottom line that's the bottom line do you think it's good for us all that running you know <laughs> i think the verdict's out on that i i don't know um you see studies both ways and uh i think that's one of those questions that i never get answered i think it's very individual probably yeah i think you're right I, I, if you read the book born to run mm-hmm. uh he makes a pretty good uh case in there that technically we were designed, at least designed, right. to be able to run long distances. Uh, as human beings, we were, we're, it's kind of our purpose. You know, uh, one of the things that we'll, we'll, we'll learn is that in certain cases, runners are faster than horses. Right. Or people yeah. that are faster than horses. Yeah, in the ancient days, that's, that was big we, were, we were used to be a courier instead of a horse because that's, we were faster, which boggles my mind, and I, I never knew that until, until this interview. <laughs> You know, the history of the ultramarathon, the ultramarathon is a relatively new thing. Mm-hmm. The, mar- the first Olympic marathon was run in 1896. Um, you know, prior to that, there were some longer races, but it wasn't really an official thing until 1896. And then, uh, and they only did that because they were having the Olympic Games and they wanted something that kind of really signified what the Olympic Games were about. And that's mm-hmm. how the marathon was born. Only men ran that marathon mm-hmm. uh, that for, and only men ran the marathon for a very long time. Ultra marathons are actually newer mm-hmm. than the marathon is. And so um, it's, it's, and, and they, they, they keep getting crazier and they keep getting longer and they keep getting harder. And um, people, 
It, it used to be, I remember back when I was a kid, when I was in high school, my coach was an ultra marathoner. And so I went to these races and sometimes I would be part of his support crew. And so this was way back in the, in the late seventies, early eighties, mm. uh, when ultra marathon, people didn't even know what that, what the word meant because it, it was just, that was just for people that are just off their rocker. And so, um, I learned about it very early, uh, but most of the people that were participating back then were just, they were probably marathoners that were okay at marathon and they decided, let's try, let's try to go a little longer. Now, ultra marathons are bringing in some serious, mm-hmm. hardcore, fantastic athletes. And so yeah. a lot of those times over the past 20 years have come way down for things like the 50 mile run and things like that, because more people have realized people who are better athletes have gotten into ultra marathoning. Well, and I think it's, you know, back when it first started, I'm sure even, even in recent history, it was kind of a dare, you know, it was kind of a, you've lost your marbles. I can't believe you're going to go run 50 miles to now people actually train for that. You know, Dean yeah. trains for those people like Scott Urich and, and these ultra runner guys, that's their living. That's what they train for and that's what they do. And so, yeah, they've, they've put their focus. It's no longer a dare or guys sitting around drinking a cup of coffee saying, I can run further than you to where it's turned into an actual sport. Yeah. And it's, uh, it, it's fascinating to hear those people. I think you and I have actually done one or two ultra distance, uh, runs and, and I personally do not like it. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's too much, it's too far and it hurts too much. Um, but but there's a there's a huge audience for it. There, uh, people love. You either love to run long and slow, or you like to run short and fast. Uh, I'm the long and slow, but not that long. <laughs> not that <laughs> got, long. Got a limit. Yeah. Got a limit. Yeah. 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 And that's um, you know we're we're uh, again I mentioned that it's it's a fairly new phenomenon, and uh, you know the marathon even didn't become really popular until really late after the 80s one of the things that that i knew that i've learned over the years is that the fastest overall boston marathon was run in 1983 not the fastest winning time mm-hmm. but the 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 100th place finisher in 1983 ran about two hours and 21 minutes mm-hmm. well today the 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 100th place finisher runs about 235 that's a that's a big difference mm-hmm. and uh uh, for some people, that doesn't seem like much, but that 14 minutes is huge. And so, um, but what has happened is, and this is what, this is the cool thing about our sport, is that so many people have realized they can do those things. Mm-hmm. Uh, that average marathon times have gotten slower because people who are slower have realized I can do that, and it's an accomplishment for them. And I think that's kind of a neat thing, and and the, and the ultra marathon is now becoming that yeah. as well. The the it, there was a day when you would start off an ultra race. I remember the uh, the strolling gym forty miler up mm-hmm. in Wartrace, Tennessee. I mean, that's out in the middle of nowhere. Crazy run over these terribly difficult hills, and you could fit everybody basically shoulder to shoulder across the road, the whole field. Yeah. Uh, today, it, there's probably hundreds that yeah. start that race. And, but why do you think that is? Why is why is it our in our DNA? in runner's DNA to, it's not good enough just to do a 5K. As soon as we get done with that first 5K, if, if you've done the 5K challenge, what did you think the minute you crossed the finish line? What's next? All right. 
and I do the 10K, then I do the 13.1, then I do the 26.2. Oh, there's a 50K. You know, this was the same song and dance it was with me when I first started running. That's that's kind of how running became an idol to me is because I was always looking for that next thing, that next thing. Why is that? Yeah, I, well, I just think it's – I think we like to get something done. I don't think it's any different than – you know, chopping a bunch of wood. When right. you get through, you love to look back at that pile and go, look what I did. You know, right. when you wash your car, it's, it, yeah, it's a little thing, but you get through and you, you stand back, you look at it and go, I did that. Yeah. I mean, anytime, anything we can do and accomplish, I think we just like to look back. And the bigger that thing is, the bigger yeah. the smile and the more joy there is to it a lot of times. Yeah, I think you're right. And, and before we get to the interview, I just want to say thank you to, to Dean Carnassus for, for doing this. It's, you know, I'm really learning about in, in the process of reaching out to these people that the running community is so giving. I mean, Dean did not have to do this interview. He did not have to agree to come in and, and talk to our listeners. But um, just like Ryan, he was so willing to do that. And, and hopefully the other ones that we're reaching out to will be the same way. But, um, Dean, if you're listening, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Good guy. We're gonna, we'll talk more about that in a few minutes. We're going we're gonna to take a break, and, and then we're going to play – the video, we're going to play the first half of the, the interview uh, between Mitchell and Dean. And then we'll come back. We'll have one more commercial break. And then we'll start over again. And we'll, we'll talk about and break down some of the things that Dean says. First, though, our main sponsor is the world's greatest digital media platform, J Radio. You know that moment when you're running? And you settle into that perfect pace. And then the next song comes on. Don't let that happen again. With the new J Radio, you can trust us to make sure that the next song in your playlist will help you keep up that pace. Check out the Radio Active Station on J Radio for all different genres of workout music handpicked for you while you run. Start listening now at jradio.com. Night of my 30th birthday, I went to uh, to a bar to meet with some friends uh, to celebrate my 30th birthday. As, as in a way that a lot of people celebrate their 30th birthday, we get very uh, drunk. So at midnight, I told them I was leaving, and they said, "Well, hold it. You know, it's your 30th birthday. Uh, let's have another round of tequila to celebrate." And I said, "No, guys. Instead of having another round of tequila, I'm going to run 30 miles uh, to celebrate my 30th birthday." And they looked at me and they said, "But but you're not a runner." you're drunk. And I said, I am, uh, but I'm still going to do it. So I literally, I walked out of the bar. I didn't even own running gear at the time, but I had, thankfully I had these comfortable uh, jockey underwear on these kind of silk underwear. So I took off my pants and just started running South drunk at midnight (laughs) with the intent of running 30 miles. And that night forever changed the course of my life. Wow. Wow. So so you you had a you had a, a, a professional job at the time, from what I understand, and um, so you decided was it that night that you basically decided that that you were going to become a a professional runner? I pretty much did. I you know I um it was two in the morning. Yeah, I'd have to put you there. It was two in the morning. Uh, I'd run about fifteen miles, and now I'd sobered up. So the alcohol had worn off, and it got real. You know the pain set in the suffering, um, you know, the kind of what the heck am I doing out here kind of thing. 
but it just felt right. You know, the, the stars were out and um, it was, I was on a quiet backcountry road all by myself and, you know, I could, the, the mist was on my uh, skin and I could smell the eucalyptus of the trees. And I just thought, I, I, this is where I belong. This is my place. And this is how you have to make the rest of your life. And so that night, it pretty much set the seed, you know, that uh, I was going to become a runner somehow. Wow. Wow. So we all know that that can be done now. But back back in those days, ultra marathoners were that there wasn't a there wasn't a big group of you guys back then. So so what gave you the courage to ultimately quit your job, um, a, a great job from what I understand, and, and become a professional runner? What, what did your family think about that? <laughs> you know, you're right. You know, back when I did this, it, it, you just didn't, you didn't do these kind of things. I mean, there was no gig economy. There was no, uh, you know, easy way to break off on your own. Um, and when I did it, it was, you know, quite shocking. And, you know, what gave me the courage you know, I, I think that night of, of drunken running, um, you know, I could see myself at 50 and I thought when you turn 50, you know, are you going to be yeah, successful business guy, you know, overweight, bald, you know, with a red sports car on, you know, maybe your second wife. Uh, is that the life you want? It was kind of, I saw this script on the wall, you know, do you want to hang out in bars in San Francisco? Uh, or you really want to follow your passion? So I thought, you know, it's better to, to fail. And at least to look back when I turned 50 and say, well, I tried my best and I, I just couldn't pull it off. I'd be better to say that than I wish I would have tried. And you have to understand my wife, um, because when I told her, you know, here I am, we're, we've got a, a child on the way, our first child. You know, I've got health care. I've got stock options. You know, I've got a company car. I've got a solid paycheck coming in. And, you know, I told her I was going to quit my job. And she looked at me and she said, I wonder what took you so long. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah. You sounds like you married up kind of like I did. I, I had a very similar experience when we started run for God. I, I basically went to my, to my wife and said, Hey, I, I think I need to quit my job and pursue this. So it's a, it's a scary thing, but it's a very rewarding thing. And uh, you know, it looks like <laughs> obviously things have worked out for you. I'm going to go through a few of your, um, of accomplishments. Um, like I said, many of our viewers are, are new to the sport of running and I want to get them a little bit more familiar with some of your accomplishments. Um, you ran 350 miles in 80 hours and 44 minutes with no sleep. You've ran 200 miles. You ran a 200 mile relay solo 11 different times. You ran a marathon at the South pole, 50 marathons, 50 States in 50 days. And you've also ran 148 miles on a treadmill. <laughs> you know, I, I actually ran 50 miles on a treadmill one time, and I swore, I think I swore I would never get on one again. But out of those accomplishments, we're going to get to some of your other accomplishments here in just a minute. But out of those accomplishments, which one sticks out the most to you? Oh, you know, that, that's an easy question to answer. You know, I've run, like you said, on all, I've run on all seven continents of earth twice now, wow. um, you know, in some of the most remote, um, you know, exotic places on earth. And my favorite race was just a, a ho-hum 10K. And, you know, you're probably wondering, this is a guy who runs hundreds of miles across the desert, you know, where was the appeal in a 10K? Well, I ran a 10K with my daughter, Alexandria, on her 10th birthday. 
Oh, wow. So to me, that was just nothing can ever top that. That was the the pinnacle moment of my career. Wow. Well, you, you've also done a few others, and and these are the ones. Um, one of them you talk about a lot, but one of them you don't really talk about a lot. But a, a few of the accomplishments that I would like to to focus on that really make me sit back in my chair, um, as if the other ones don't, are the ones that that we don't hear as much about. And one of them is the Badwater ultra marathon now for a guy that runs 350 miles this one this one's only 135 miles um so compared to your other events it's it's fairly short but walk us through that event for our listeners who who don't know what that race is um that is quite the accomplishment not only did you do it 10 times but you won it one time walk everybody (laughs) through what that race looks like and more importantly feels like well, I'll start off by saying that I, I never, I never claimed that I won the race. I claimed that I uh, escaped the fastest <laughs> yeah. because, you know, survived the fastest. What, what the Badwater Ultra Marathon is, is a 135 mile foot race from the lowest point in the Western Hemisphere, which is Badwater, um, to the highest point in the contiguous U.S., which is Mount Whitney. And the idea is to run continuous from the lowest point to the highest point. Um, and in between the two is this place called Death Valley. And they hold the race uh, in the middle of summer, and it tends to get a little warm in Death Valley. Like, it'll melt your shoes <laughs> warm in Death Valley. Um, you know, in a couple of years I've run it, uh, it's been over 130 degrees. I'll never forget one year I ran it, and the, we got to a place called Stovepipe, Stovepipe Wells uh, in the middle of the night. And um, the low temperature at 2 a.m. was 114. That was the low. Wow, you know, but it's a dry heat. It's not like Georgia. <laughs> yeah, but it's yeah, it's, it's, but it's still 130 yeah, so degrees. It, yeah, it's 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 probably the most um, you know removed from Earth. The closest you can get to hell with actually being on Earth, it's got to be that place because it is. It's a furnace. It's literally a furnace. I mean, you you run past places called Dante's Peak, you know, Furnace Creek, Stovepipe Wells. Um, the list goes on, you know, the devil's golf course. And actually, if you look in the background here, this is uh, the dunes of Death Valley. You run right past and you can see that, um, let's see here, that that peak up uh, right about there. Yeah. You know, that's approaching uh, toward Mount Whitney where you end up. So just imagine getting from, you know, where I'm at, uh, which is not even halfway there, up to the top of that mountain. Wow. Now I've seen pictures where you're running on the white line and, and that's because your shoes at, at certain parts of the day in the, in the course, your shoes will actually melt, won't they? They do. And that's why you stay on the white line. You know, the, uh, the pavement can be over 200 degrees. So I learned the hard way the first year I, I tried to run the try that day because I, I didn't make it the first year, but I, I um, had my shoes, my foot just kind of slipped out from my shoe. And I thought, you know, what's going on here? And there's a big smudge mark in the asphalt, and I realized <laughs> my sh- bottom of my shoe had melted off. So it was pretty, uh, pretty intimidating uh, conditions, I would say. So how many, sh- how many pairs of shoes will you go through during that race? I guess you change shoes a lot. Yeah, you do. It's helpful to change shoes. I mean, a couple tricks. You know, I've learned quote unquote tricks to get through this race. Is um, one trick is to rotate shoes and to have your crew because you have a crew uh, that kind of supports you along the way to have your crew um, put 
the shoes that you're not wearing in the ice chest to try to get them cold. And then you put on a, you know, cold pair, which lasts about five minutes before they're hot. <laughs> and then you, you know, you switch yeah, in and out to these two pairs of shoes. The other thing that's uh, quite commonplace is you start to develop blisters. You know, it's so hot, your feet you start to get, you know, what they call hot spots. Right. So you have a surgical um, scissors and you basically just start cutting out pieces of, of shoe that uh, your foot's being rubbed against. And that's, oh. it's not uncommon to see people running with shoes that look like sandals. You just literally cut away pieces of shoes, pieces of fabric, so you don't get a blister. Wow. That's incredible. Now, now another run that you did, and, and I actually caught the tail end of this one. Um, and I'll call this probably your modern day Forrest Gump moment is when you ran from Disneyland to New York city. And, and, and before we get into that run, how, how, how many Forrest Gump jokes do you get throughout? The <laughs> you know, it's funny because I was doing this stuff before the movie came out yeah. and you know, and, and then the onslaught, you know, it was before that it was people playing the Rocky Balboa theme song. You know, yeah. or um, chariots of fire, da na 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 na. But then, uh, then out the window started coming. Run, Forrest, run! Yeah. So logistically, but, was that one of the hardest? Because I know I know there was a lot of production behind that one because you you actually ended at the was it the the Regis and Kelly show? You're absolutely yeah. right. And there, you know the reason the reason I started at Disneyland is because. Um, uh, ABC, you know, it's Disney owns ABC television. Mm -hmm. And I was being, uh, it was basically for a, a television show live with Regis and Kelly that broadcast on ABC television. So uh, they had this big flashy start at Disneyland where literally, you know, they closed down Disneyland uh, so that I could run right through the middle of, of Disneyland, uh, right out the, the, um, the, you know, the, the entrance and, um, and basically bang a right and head toward New York City. That was quite a, an incredible start. The fireworks show went off. You know, the Goodyear blimp flew overhead with good luck, Dean. You know, and, mm -hmm. and then I got out there on the road and realized, boy, I've got to run 40 to 50 miles a day for 75 days straight. It's not going to be that fun, actually. Mm -hmm. um, but that's why I started at Disneyland. You're right. Um, every day I was on live with Regis and Kelly. Some days, you know, I'd be the whole episode. Other days, uh, there'd just be a brief update on my progress. Wow. Well, yeah, it was quite the production. I, I think, I think the day I caught it for whatever reason, I, it was the, the very end. Um, and that was, uh, that was, that's quite a feat. Now, um, uh, one of the runs that I, that I really want to park on for just a minute, because, uh, I actually listened to a podcast sometime back. Um, it was with, you were on a rich, is it rich roll? Um, rich roll. Yeah. Uh, you were, you were doing a podcast with him and it's the only book of yours that I have not read yet. And, and I actually ordered it yesterday. So I'm going to read this book. But you're talking about the, the road to Sparta. And um, you talk about it's fascinating the amount of historical uh, research you did in putting this book together and doing this run. But many of our listeners know the or, or have heard the story of how the marathon came to be and how Pheidippides ran and then he, he died at the very end. But there's so much more to that story that I've heard you describe. Tell, tell us a little bit about what you learned uh, through the process of writing this book and, and, and running the, the Spartathlon um, that, that you didn't know before you started this process. 
Yeah, well, I'll preface this by saying I'm 100% Greek. So the story of the marathon always interested me. And, you know, the story that we typically hear is about uh, this, this Greek um, hoplite, Pheidippides, or Pheidippides, uh, running from the battlefield of Marathon after the, the Greeks defeated the, the Persians and running into the Acropolis in, in Athens and proclaiming Niki, Niki, or Nike, Nike, which means victory, victory, we are victorious. And then the story ends with him dying. <laughs> yeah. and, and just as an aside, you know, that, that is where Nike, the footwear company, got their name. Right. It's from this endeavor. So we thought it was a 26.2 mile foot race, um, you know, 26.2 miles to get from the battlefield to Athens. And that's kind of whatever, uh, you know, has been left through the, through the ages. But the backstory is much more colorful. I mean, you know, it, it has to do with uh, these long distance runners, um, this, this trained class of citizens in ancient Greece. So we're talking, you know, 490 uh, BC. And these, these guys, these runners were trained to outrun a horse. Um, the Greeks realized that in the, uh, the mountainous terrain of Southern Greece, that a, a fit human could outrun a horse. So uh, they thought if they got invaded by another, like the Persians, who all rode horses, they could have their runners, you know, run out and um, solicit help faster than these guys could cover the train on a horse. So when the Persians invaded uh, at the Bay of Marathon, the Athenians realized they were badly outnumbered and they needed reinforcements. And, you know, if, you, if you've seen the movie 300, you know, who's the most bad fighting force in ancient Greece? It's the Spartans. So they dispatched Pheidippides to run from Athens to Sparta to recruit the Spartans in the battle. Now that's 153 miles. <laughs> and this is, four, this is 490 BC. So he's running, you know, in, in leather sandals. He's eating figs. You know, he's foraging food along the way. He's eating olives. He has probably some cured meat like beef jerky. And he's just drinking water. He probably has um, a, uh, a bladder filled with water. And then he's filling it with water when he comes across the stream. He's also self-navigating. I mean, there's no, <laughs> there's no GPS. There's no yeah. smartphone back then. You know, there's no um, Google Maps. So he's, you know, he's figuring out uh, just line of sight how to get to Sparta. And he's running straight through the night. And he's by himself. And he realized, you know, he, this man knows that all of his Athenian um, brethren will be completely wiped out if he doesn't succeed in this ultra marathon. So he makes it to Sparta. He runs 153 miles. Uh, the Spartans uh, agree that they will come and um, help uh, battle off the Persians. But they said, we can't leave for battle because there's not a full moon. And we are forbidden for leaving for battle until there's a full moon. That won't be for another six days. So now Pheidippides is in a quandary. He's like, oh, great, the Spartans are coming, but it won't, they're going to be delayed for six days. I got to run back to Athens and, and tell the Athenians, uh, you know, the Spartans are coming. It's just going to take a little while. So he turns around the next day and runs 153 miles back to Athens. Well, when he gets there, the generals decide that they can't wait for the Spartans, that every day the Persians are reinforcing their place uh, on the battlefield. So they attack and somehow defeat the Persians on their own. And then they dispatch him on that final mission to run from the battlefield uh, to the Acropolis. So prior to running the marathon, he had actually run an ultra marathon of some distance. That's insane. And, and from, from what I understand, that, that, 
that battle in Pheidippides himself kind of changed the trajectory possibly of, of world history. Um, it did. I mean, that was, a, you know, I did a lot of historical research on this book. I worked with one of the most, the foremost authorities on ancient Greek culture, a gentleman by the name of Paul, Dr. Paul Cartledge of Cambridge University. And, you know, he was amazing in uh, citing ancient references for me to, to look at and analyze. And to your point, uh, you know, if, if the Persians had prevailed, and this is pretty, pretty well known, um, you know, this whole idea of democracy or, you know, the demos, the rule by the people or the polis, um, that might not have become what it became because, you know, that was the Greeks were experimenters with this idea of rule by the people, not rule by a central power figure. And Persia very much was ruled by a central power figure, Darius. And he was out to pretty much crush and rule and, you know, take over Greece. And had he prevailed, that might, uh, you know, democracy might not have evolved the way it did. Wow, that's incredible. So, so, so ever since that, that run out of that bar that night, um, it seems like your, your hunch to, to become a professional runner has, has paid off. And, and you're a best-selling author many times over. Uh, in 2006, you wrote the Ultra Marathon Man, Confessions of an All-Night Runner. That was actually the first read that I read. I, I, I didn't start running until 2007. Um, and so that was one of the first running books that I ever read. In 2009, you, you wrote 5050, uh, The Secrets I Learned uh, by Running 50 Marathons in 50 States in 50 Days. And, and was that co-authored or written with Matt Fitzgerald? Yeah, so that was, um, uh, you know, it was an adventure book about this idea, this crazy idea of running 50 marathons in all of the 50 states in 50 consecutive days. And um, I worked with a coach and a trainer. Uh, I'm not a coach and a trainer, and yeah. Matt is. So yeah. I work with Matt to help. Um, there's, it's a prescriptive book. So not only are there, uh, you know, stories about the, the marathons I ran in each of the states, you know, there's life lessons as well as there's practical lessons for running and training. And that's why I worked with Matt because that's what he does for a living. He knows, you know, uh, how to write training plans um, and how to coach someone. So he was invaluable in that regard. Exactly. And then in 2011, you wrote run, which is a, a story of 26.2 miles of blisters and bliss. I like that uh, <laughs> line. And then obviously in 2016, you wrote, the road to Sparta, uh, reliving the ancient battle and the epic run that inspired the world's greatest foot race. L looking back over your career, what has been your favorite project? And, and you described your favorite run while ago, which was a 10K, but what, what has been your favorite project? Because you've, you've worked on so many incredible projects. What, what would be your favorite? There is power in people's stories. It's a challenging time. What do you do when everything you believe about God is being tested and God doesn't look like the good father that he says he does? You've got layers and layers and layers of hate in your heart. It, it takes God to clean it out. Your story can help encourage others around the country, just like these stories have. You can walk through a simple process of sharing your story with the Big Share app. Download the Big Share app in your app store to start sharing hope with others. Wow. Crazy. Crazy. That's what I would use to describe that man. He's yeah. definitely crazy. Yeah. In a good way. 
in a good way. Yeah. He's such a great ambassador for our sport. Um, uh, you, you know, the, the way he got started and all, it's, it's, it's interesting and all that. But, but as you mentioned before the break, we, you talked about how great it was that he would do this, that mm-hmm. he would participate with us. And he doesn't have to do that. And, but he's just such a great ambassador. I've seen him interact at places like at the Boston Marathon, the Expos and things. He's just an engaging guy. And he, he, you can tell he, he lives it and breathes it. I, I was so tickled when I saw him come up on the Zoom camera. He had uh, Death Valley, one of the, the virtual <laughs> backgrounds, and he just he loves he loves the sport, which is what yeah. makes him such a great ambassador. It's yeah. kind of like you. I mean, when you talk when you get to talking about either one of these deans about the sport of running, their whole countenance changes. Your countenance changes when you start talking about running, and it's infectious. Yeah. And uh, that's that's the great thing about Dean Carnassus and Dean Thompson is is they they do a lot for the sport. Um, they're, they're just great ambassadors for the sport. So, uh, so yeah, it's, it's, I, I got so tickled. If you haven't watched the YouTube video, go, go watch it. Cause it's, it's pretty hilarious that he popped up with a virtual background and I thought he was going to pop up in some studio or something. And he pops up in death Valley. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so the way he got started, um, I mean, just, he's at a bar. Yeah. He's doing things you do at a bar. Right. And then it's like this notion hits him, like, I think I'll just go out and run at midnight. It's a Forrest Gump moment, isn't it? <laughs> it I ask him, I, I think, I don't know if that was in this part or the last part, but, yeah. you know, it's, it's, I ask him how many comments he gets made about Forrest Gump, but it's so true. He's, he's sitting there probably having a good time. I don't know, may not have been having a good time. I didn't ask him, but, and then this thought comes across, I'm, I'm going to run to the next town over. <laughs> and... Uh, that kind of sounds like something I would do, probably. Um, but you wonder what what was inside his mind at that time. <laughs> no and kidding. if you read Ultra Marathon, man, he he really dives a lot deeper into that night. There was a lot more circumstances going on than than what he talked about in the interview. So if you haven't read Ultra Marathon, man, go get that book. It's a great read. All his books are great. Um, but yeah, it's funny to hear him just say, "Oh, I, I think I'll go run thirty miles." And then he makes this decision to change his life. He talked about, I mean, and again, the book does tell more detail. He was very successful. I mean, he's a little modest about it when you just talk to him, but he was, he was very successful. I mean, for him to give up what he got is we we talk about how materialistic this world is today. And he gave up a lot of materialism to to pursue what he pursued. And I could be wrong, but I, I want to say he had an MBA. I'm, you may be right. I think I think I'm right about that. I think that's in the book. Um, but yeah, I mean he he had a a very good career, and just decided that you know. And I think I think there's a lot of people out there that's where he was. Um, you know, they're they're in their life. They feel like they're in this rut, and they're scared to make a change. That had to be scary to do what he did, hmm. just to say. I'm going to become a professional runner. (laughs) How many people do that? Nobody does it. And they certainly didn't do it then. And they certainly don't do it giving up what he had. Right. Right. But he knew he had a passion and he, and he followed that. Yep. 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 And I like what he said. He said, he said, he, he said it was better to fail trying to do something he loved to do than to look back and say, I wish I would have tried. Yeah. So he was prepared for failure if it had, if it happened. Right. It didn't, but 
but he, but he wasn't scared by failure. Right. He wasn't paralyzed of the failure. Which which is a great lesson for all of us. Yeah, I mean, how many times do we not do things and think, you know, oh, what would have been? There's yeah. been country songs written about that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I was just listening, coming here, I was listening to a, a podcast and and it was Dave Ramsey and he was talking about get out of your comfort zone. You know, we, we talk about this a lot with the sport of running. We've got a t-shirt that says get out of, find your comfort zone and leave it. But that's just kind of a, a, a ongoing theme we see with Ryan Hall or with Dean Carnassus or with both of our stories. It's, it's all about if you get comfortable and you stay comfortable, a piece of you dies. Yeah. Um, and, and, and God doesn't want us to get comfortable and stay comfortable. He constantly wants us to keep pushing in our faith and reaching out to people that's not comfortable to do that. It's We're growing when we're getting outside our comfort zone. So there's so much to learn from what Dean said, not only from a uh, physical and a sports standpoint, but but in our walk with Christ. Um, it's don't be afraid to fail. Yeah, and I think that that paralyzes a lot of us. It does. Uh, because we uh, we think that failure is rejection, and rejection is, is, is an indictment on me. Right. And uh, I think the Bible is clear. We're going to have some rejection right. and that it's okay. And We should expect rejection yeah. is what the Bible says. I mean, yeah. it says it's, it's not if, it's when. It said, blessed are those who are persecuted for my name's sake. Yeah. Jesus was pretty clear when he said, pick up your cross daily. Picking up the cross, we tend to glance over that, but that's not a pretty picture. No. If you've seen any of the movies or, or read about what, what that actually meant, that, that was Jesus going to his death. Yeah. And, and basically that's Jesus telling us, die to yourself and follow me. And it's not a comfortable thing, but it's, it's so worth it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think about one of the one of the things that I remember him saying was that his wife said when when he told her, she said, "I don't know what took you so long." Yeah. And can you imagine that God is up in heaven, looking down on us, right. and when He sees us do something and take that bold step, don't you know He looks down on us and go, "I don't know what took you so long." Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I wonder when He said that. I was kind of kind of thinking in my head what. Even now, as as part of Run for God and and being a runner myself, what would my wife say if I said, "Honey, we're we're gonna we're gonna quit everything we're doing, and I'm gonna become a professional runner?" She she would laugh me out of the house. <laughs> uh, but you know that was just in his case that was confirmation. That had to be so comforting yeah. to hear that, and that's just comfort confirmation on what what he was supposed to do with his life and uh, it turned out well for him yeah and you know we don't we don't think enough i think sometimes about the people that are around us um i know your wife i know my wife they're both so supportive mm -hmm. of whatever we do and it that is so important and not everybody has that support behind them right um, i think about ryan and how his father allowed him to do a 15 mile run when you and i know that was a terrible idea yeah but it wasn't a terrible idea. Right. right? From a coaching standpoint, you're thinking, what, what were they thinking? Um, but he, he saw a dream. He saw a spark in Ryan's eye, and he, he allowed that to come out. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's why it's so important to surround yourself with people who make you better, who, who can see those opportunities and sparkle in your eye and who will foster that and not 
squash that. Yeah, I think that's so important. But on, on the other side of that, uh, we have to take those naysayers and those people who aren't building us up. Like you said, we need to we need to push them to the side or don't listen to them or whatever it takes for us to suppress that. Um, if you don't have that positive person, be that positive person too. I like to, there's nothing that makes me feel better than to hear somebody come to me and say, you, you helped me decide to do this. You right. helped me get through this. Or one of my favorite things I do is, is, uh, uh as a pacer for marathons, mm-hmm. I've done that a few times and just knowing that you've helped somebody reach their goal is it's, it means more to me than winning a race. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah, I mean, that's why we always tell instructors out there, our coaches, that, that are teaching the 5K challenge, you're going to change a lot of lives, but your life's going to be changed too. Yep. Because when you learn to give back, it, it, it changes you. Yep. It, changes, it takes the focus off of how fast can I get as a runner, and it puts it on how can I help those around me to reach their goals and become better people. Now, with that said, we all need that realist in our life. We do. Otherwise, we'd all be broke and homeless. And um, Because I've had some crazy ideas before. My wife has had to say, now, 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 wait a minute, Mitchell. Let's let's think about this. And uh, so we all have to have that person in our life who who will reel us back in. So we we don't just need all optimists around us. That is true. Uh, But we need to choose our our um, voice of reasons very carefully. Well, yeah, and I think the key is is that you find people that have your best interest at heart. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Because that's those people will be honest with you, whether that's building you up and supporting you or saying, mm, that don't sound like a good idea. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah. You, we you, all need a little bit of New Jersey in our lives. That's, yeah. yeah. Got to have a little of that. Got to take a stab at the New Jersey <laughs> guy here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you list some of Dean's accomplishments, and I thought this was so telling about kind of who Dean is because you listed several things that he had done, which were amazing accomplishments, and then said, now, which one of those is most memorable? Mm-hmm. And he talks about his running a 10K with his 10-year-old daughter on her 10th birthday. Yeah, that's, uh, that shows the human side because we, we're talking to a superhuman guy that's run all these insanely difficult races but his most memorable and his favorite is a 10K with his daughter. That's so um, awesome. That's Yeah, that's, that's, so awesome that's a that great story. Way. Yeah. And you guys go on to talk about the Badwater 135, which is, uh, to my mind, that's got to be one of the toughest true ultramarathon races in the world. Uh, he talks about how it starts at the lowest point in the contiguous United States and finishes at the highest point. Mm-hmm. And that is just that's insane. It is. But what I thought was interesting about the whole discussion was you guys talked about running through Death Valley mm-hmm. and about how hot it was. Mm-hmm. And, and we, we can get to that and talk about some of that. But what I thought was really interesting was you never talked about that climb up Mount Whitney. Right. That, that's got to be terribly difficult. But that's not even the part we talk about. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was so enamored by the stories I'd read about his shoes melting. I mean... I don't I don't care for heat. I love warm. I don't like heat like that. And to to run fully clothed on top of that. I don't know if you talked about that, but he you can't you can't have exposed skin in that type of heat uh, cuz you'll just roast. So he's fully clothed. He's got a hat on. Everything's white. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you've ever seen those guys running through Death Valley and at the time when they did this it, when Dean ran these races, 
Um, it was in the middle of the day when they had them coming through Death Valley. I don't think that's the case anymore. I think they actually come through Death Valley maybe at night now because it was so dangerous to do yeah. it that way. I mean, running in 114, 120-degree heat uh, where your shoes are melting and you have to run on the white line, that I'm sure the, the insurance companies behind that race were saying, <laughs> now, wait a minute, uh, we may not be able to issue a policy for this anymore. So, um, yep. But it's it's just – it's a it's incredible to hear these stories that, yeah. yeah, I mean, when you brush across the climb up Mount Whitney, it shows you that he's done some pretty hardcore stuff. <laughs> yeah. He talked about there being a low of 114 degrees at night. Yeah. I, I can't, I, I just can't envision it being 114 degrees and it being dark outside. And for those, for people who listening who don't know what Death Valley is, I'm sure we've all heard of it, but Death Valley is actually, how below many, sea level. Below sea level. I don't remember how many feet. Maybe eighty feet below sea level. Um, so it's just it's a huge bowl. And if you've ever been in a in an area where the air is not moving in the middle of the summer, you you can you can understand what I'm talking about. Now magnify that by ten, yeah. and that's probably what Death Valley feels like. There's no wind. There's no rain. The ground is parched. It just looks like sandpaper. Yeah. Out around you, and it's it's a hundred. 20 degrees sometimes and your shoes are melting yeah how in the world does that sound fun <laughs> when he talked about how the actual pavement can actually get up to 200 degrees yeah that's crazy yeah uh but it's it, i mean it, it's I, I'm, I love smoking meat and i smoke barbecue at 200 225 degrees yeah so you could cook meat on the surface that he's running on you could yeah. fry eggs or bacon out there that is just crazy and he, he makes the comment that, well, you, you talked about him winning it. And he said, well, I don't like to think of me as winning it as much as I escaped the fastest. I survived the fastest. Yeah, <laughs> something like that. Um, but that also shows a hum, the humble side of him that, you know, he, he could wave that flag, yeah. but he chooses not to. Yeah. Because he knows that all those other people who were out there running with him, their runs were just as impressive as his. Uh, just well, to, to finish that. Well, he mentions that the first year he tried it, he didn't finish. Right. I mean, he understands what it's like to, to struggle enough to not finish. Right. I mean, here's a guy who, look at all the things he's done, and he didn't finish. I think it's a, it's a good lesson for all of us because sometimes we think these people make it look so easy, and he does, and you hear all these great accomplishments. Hey, the guy didn't finish uh, one of the most important foot races in the world one time because he couldn't do it. Yeah, and I think I think a lot about just exactly what you just said about these athletes out there who, who make this look so easy, and they, man, that guy won the Boston Marathon, and it just hardly looked like he was even working. Well, that's that's at the prime, mm-hmm. you know, ninety five percent of the time they're struggling. Yep. And and that's a lesson for us not to look at, you know, that's why that's the down that's the part of social media that I don't like is because it's the highlight reels of people's lives. Yeah. And you start trying to compare yourself to the highlight reels of people's lives and it can it can bring you down. But mm-hmm. we all know what goes on outside those pictures. Yeah. It's the same struggles that we have and it's the same with athletes. That's the danger you have of trying to compare yourself. It's the danger I have of comparing me to you. I wind up with stress fractures when I try to run with you. Um, but that's the danger in, in society, period, is when we start trying to compare ourselves to other people, and especially when we start trying to compare ourselves to their highlight reel, it, it, it's only going to make us... Um, Feel inadequate. Exactly. Mm-hmm. But we're not. Right. We're very adequate. 
and it, and it's the, the Bible makes it clear. Exactly. Yeah. He talks about, you asked him about the run, forest, run. We talked about that a few minutes ago. But I never thought about it that when uh, when he first started running, that movie wasn't out yet. And so I remember. And that movie seems like it was forever ago. <laughs> I know. I remember at that time, because I, I, I've run the Peachtree Road Race since uh, probably my first year was 1980, 81, something like that. I was born in 1978, by the way, <laughs> in case you're wondering. And... Uh, and I remember them playing the, the running song at that time was the Rocky theme song. That was really the, gu, yeah, gonna fly now. I remember that was the song, and they would play that in the middle of the Peachtree Road Race on the side of the road. Man, you get fired up because that was the running song. And then uh, and then he mentioned Chariots of Fire, which by the way, if you haven't seen the movie Chariots of Fire, it's a, it's a great movie if you're a Christian and want to see a, a movie about running and about being a Christian and what it means to stand up for your faith. Uh, yeah. Chariots of Fire is a good movie. It is. Uh, but anyway, the, yeah, those were the, those were, that was the music, and those were the things that were said about runners back then. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't remember those days. So. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh. <laughs> and then you guys talked about this crazy epic adventure of running from Disneyland to New York City and being on the news every morning and um, with Regis and Kathy Lee. I can't imagine getting up every morning with the knowledge that that day you're going to run as far as you can or as far as you've got prescribed for that day, which is going to be 50, 60, 70 miles. And then you're going to get up the next day and do it again. Yeah, and I think I said this, you know, that this is not one that gets talked about a lot. When you when you hear about Dean Carnassus, you hear about Badlands, you hear about uh, the road to Sparta, and this is one of the races that kind of gets glossed over. But I, I remember I was following it when he when he did that and the cumulative effect yeah in the in the um the ultra marathon world 40 to 50 miles 60 miles is is not that big of a deal um but the cumulative effect i've talked about the blue ridge relay that i ran and mm -hmm. i was only running eight or ten miles at a time uh and how the break it, it was a, it's still the hardest thing i've ever done not because of the the volume of mileage, but because of the brakes. Hmm. And when you run, you talked about your run the other day, you, you posted it on, um, on run club where you, you struggled really bad in a run and you made the comment to me. You said, the worst thing I did was we'll stop. stop. Mm -hmm. And your body goes into recovery mode. When you stop, things tighten up, things get sore, you get hungry, you want to eat everything inside. But with him, he, he had to throttle that because the very next morning he had to get up and do it all again. Most of us, if we ran 50, 60, 70 miles, we're done for a week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But he had to get it up and do it every day for 4,000 miles. And to me, that is probably the most impressive thing from the outside looking in. He may tell you it's not the hardest thing, but it's the most impressive thing to me to know, to have done something like that before, doing a relay and you... You just the last thing you want to think about when the alarm clock goes off the next morning is getting up and doing it again for days and days and days and days. Yeah. I don't even know the math there, but I don't even remember how long it took him. Um, but it took a long time. Yeah. And mentally, that's just got to – the mental side of that feat that he, he achieved had to be brutal. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. He goes from that, and then you start talking about uh, the road to Sparta. Isn't that fascinating? Oh, my goodness. It's so fascinating. You know, I've grown up my whole life knowing that 
about the the run of Pheidippides and right. and I don't know how many people know that story, but you know Pheidippides takes the 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 fact that they won and 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 we don't even know if this story is even true. First of all, right. um, but he takes the story of that that the, they had beaten the uh, uh, the uh, who was it the. <laughs> The Persians. The Persian, I'm yeah, sorry. The Persian Empire. I'm trying, yeah. to, trying to get that word out of my head. The the Athenians had defeated the Persians. He has to take that word back and let them know. He runs about a marathon, uh, and and then he says Nike Nike, which is and where I Nike came knew from. That. I never knew that. And, and and then he dies. And that's what we know about him. But there's so much more to that story. And one of the interesting things, and, and, and he glossed over this, and I think this is interesting, and maybe some of our folks will, will think this is interesting. That original run was not 26.2 miles. Mm-hmm. It was probably around 25 miles. Mm-hmm. And the first Olympic marathon was less than 26.2 miles. The reason that the, the, mile, the distance now is 26.2 miles is, a, is an interesting story. And it's in 1908 in the London Olympics, they were supposed to lay out a course that was 25 miles long, roughly mm-hmm. 40 kilometers. And so they did. And then they realized it didn't start and finish where they wanted it to. And so in order to make it longer, they, they made it 26 miles because it had to start at the palace and it had to finish at the stadium. And so, uh, and then they wanted to make sure it finished in front of the, um, the Royal box in mm-hmm. the stadium so they lengthened it 385 yards to get to the Royal Box. That's where the 26 miles, 385 yards comes from. And it stuck. And yeah, well, that <laughs> happened then. And then a few years later, they decided that's going to be the that's going to be the official distance. The official distance of the marathon wasn't that until like 1912, I think it was. Yeah. So interesting story. But back to the 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 road to Sparta. It's interesting that he he's 100 percent Greek and he's very proud of that. Right. And I think that's cool to listen to somebody talk about their heritage in a way that, that they can appreciate it so much. Um, particularly, you know, the Greek people can use some help right now mm-hmm. yeah, um, with, with where they are. Uh, and and this, this story that he talks about takes place in 490 B.C. So we're talking about 2,500 years ago. Yeah. Um, so it's no wonder it's hard to find the, <laughs> the, the facts on it. Uh, but originally, his first run, 153 miles as far as they can tell. To deliver a message, and that and that that they identified back then that and this this really blew me away. I I, I kind of questioned it when I first heard it, but then you hear it explained that a runner is actually faster than a horse yeah. over distance. I mean, we think the first thing we think about is the Kentucky Derby. There's no way we can outrun those horses, but yeah, but they run a mile and they're done. Um, and you know, to to ask a horse to run that far at any kind of speed is just it would take days. And over the terrain that they have to run. Right. To mm-hmm. to to make that happen. Uh, if you look at all the old cowboy movies, they're walking and, mm-hmm. you know, they'll go four or five mile or four or five hours and, and they have to let the horse rest. So to have a well trained runner like this, it was faster and I just find that fascinating that couriers back then, the mailman you know, we used to have walking mailmen around here where we live, but the mailman back then was a runner. And yeah. if you needed to ship it across the country, well, Pheidippides here, he'll he'll take care of that for you. And that's just uh, <laughs> that's a fact. I've never heard that. As long as I've been in this sport now, 
I've never heard that story, and it's fascinating. Yeah. And, and it sounds like he had a great group of historians around us, around him, helping him uh, put this book together. Yeah, and I think about back then, you're talking about, again, about 2,500 years ago, and he is doing this, eating figs and drinking water wherever he can find it. It's not like he had gel packs in his fuel belt. Right. <laughs> he had to find this stuff on his own along the way because there, there was no support. It was just him. Yeah, and, and figs on top of that. I, don't, I, I was thinking when he was saying this that I think the only fig I've ever eaten is a fig newton. I don't know if I've eaten real figs, but I, I kind of put them in the same category as, as prunes, you know, a, a, close. Yeah, a little sweeter, but yeah. yeah. But I couldn't imagine <laughs> yeah. eating prunes for 150 miles. Uh, yeah, we won't get into what that causes, but um, it's got to be tough. And, and and I actually heard Dean in another interview talking about when, when he did this, uh, when he retraced this 153 miles as close as he could, he tried to do it eating the only things that Philippides would have eaten, which would have been figs, and and the GI issues just about brought him down. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's that's maybe, maybe the body was, uh, the digestive system, I'm sure it was, was different back then. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, yeah, that's... Uh, well, and back then they had... They didn't have. I know this is crazy for people for people to understand this, but they didn't have Google Maps back then. Yeah, I mean, or even maps, <laughs> or even maps. Period. It was just, hey, I think I gotta go that way, that direction. Yeah, and <laughs> uh, that that to me is as interesting as anything. I wonder how many extra miles some of those guys ran just trying to figure out exactly which direction I need to run. And you know, we say it's 153 miles based on. Google Maps nowadays, but we we don't know how much side to side. I mean, you can you can cover a lot of ground going side by side and navigating, mm -hmm. and you know nowadays we run point to point. But I'm sure that wasn't the case back then with the yeah. things he was having to navigate and valleys and mountains and um, so it you know today we look at it and we say yeah that's 153 miles, but it could have been more than that. We don't know. Yeah. Well, I think about this. I think about how okay so. Pheidippides is dispatched to run 153 miles to go talk to the Spartans and ask them if they will join them in battle against the Persians. And they say, yeah, we can do it, but we can't do it right now. We're going to wait, we're gonna have to wait six days. And so now he has to turn around and say, and run back and go, we're going to have to wait six days. And then they make the decision that we can't wait six days. And I'm thinking if they thought so much that they needed that help, that they dispatched somebody to run 150 miles to ask the question if somebody would help them, and then they found out they couldn't help them right away, so they just said, you know what, I think we got enough. Let's just go for it. Mm -hmm. I think there's some lessons in that for us, in mm -hmm. that oftentimes we think we're waiting for reinforcements, we're waiting for some help to get something done, and sometimes God just wants us to take a stand and go after it right uh and i just i the, i can't imagine the look on on some of the guys face in in the group there who thought okay we're waiting to see if the spartans are going to join us and then they hear okay the spartans are going to join us but not right away and they're like okay we can wait we can wait this is good and then all of a sudden it's like oh no we're going without the help right and i think that's uh that's got to be a tough thing to do. I imagine the adrenaline flowing through those guys at that point was pretty 
pretty strong. Yeah, and I mean the the battles that they fought were so much different than battles nowadays. I mean, this yeah. was all hand to hand combat, and the idea of thinking of going up against the Persian Empire. I mean, it's you, there's movies written about the Persian armies, and and that had to be. I mean, it was truly a David and Goliath type moment, and and it's 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 fascinating that Dean talked about and he's talked about in other interviews how that that changed modern civilization as mm. we know it i mean yeah. democracy may not have been a thing had it not been for that moment i mean literally the marathon could have changed hum- human civilization for all we know and that's a pretty cool thing to think about you know yeah. when when we we put our sport up against other sports you know how many other sports can say we changed human civilization well yeah, there's not not another one they can say. No, that. They, you can't. That's so, right. Uh, that's right. So that's what that, that needs to be in one of your episodes of why running is so cool. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we need to we, do. We changed history. We changed history. I like that. That is. Listen and, at me. I'm saying we. And that's I didn't a, have anything to do with that. A, <laughs> we're all part of the same group. We talk about that, right? Yeah. How, exactly. Uh, one runners one runner is kin to another. Yeah. Uh, it's it's all good. My brother Fidipides. <laughs> Nike wouldn't be here without him. Uh, that's right. That's right. And uh, yeah, th- this whole idea of running, running all of that, all that way. Uh, and and one of the things that he doesn't talk about in this interview, but he talked about in another interview, was how he runs this 153 miles and apparently does it in less than 36 hours. Mm-hmm. And he gets has to stand up in front of the Spartans, and he has to convince them to join them. Right. Mm-hmm. So. He just got through running all this way, but now he's got to be presentable, too. Mm-hmm. He can't just go, oh, gosh, I'm just dying. Hey, will you guys join us? Yeah. He's got to stand up with his back straight and go, hey, we need you guys. And, and he's got to be animated. And I just think that whole picture um, is, is a lot like our, our walk with Christ in that sometimes we're tired and yeah. sometimes it's hard. And sometimes God just wants us to forget about being tired and it being hard and just throw our shoulders back and go, this is for you, God. Yeah. Let me, let me, let me be bold. Right. Exactly. Yeah. What a, what a great, uh, what a great interview we have. You left it on the, we left it on the cliffhanger of asking about some of his books and some of the other things, some of the uh, projects Mm -hmm. that he has done. And so we're going to, we're going to pick that back up next week with that. In the meantime, if you are not a run for God coach, we wish that you would, consider doing that uh being a run for god coach is something that will change your life and the lives of those around you so uh go out there and, and get involved with run for god in that way and uh i think you won't be sorry uh, and understand this is something you can do online right now mm-hmm. right so so get involved um it's harder but you can still do it and tell your friends about run club absolutely um you know we uh, I'm I'm still inspired at what I see going on in the Run for God group. Um, you know, people are taking this to places that I never thought they would. I, they're, there's so much interaction. They're, they're loving your challenges that you're throwing up each month. Uh, the plank challenge is going on right now, and and, and everybody's having a ball with that. Uh, we're seeing people video. Irene, if you're out there, I'm loving the videos of you. <laughs> you're counting down your planks and um, – you know she's got those cool green glasses and so i'm loving what i'm seeing out of this group so if you're not part of this group go to runforgod.com forward slash run club and get signed up today i found out this morning 
that one of the very active members in our run club is actually apparently, I don't know how related through marriage or whatever, to a girl that I went to high school with. And she, she messaged me this morning and said, I didn't know you are a part of this. Really? It's such a small such world. A small so, world, yeah. Uh, yeah, go out there and find some more and bring this world of runners closer together. Exactly. Go to runforgod.com and figure out how. In the meantime, uh, we'll see you next week with part two of the Dean Carnazis interview. Until then, go out and shine your light. Good word, Dean. For more information about the Run for God ministry, go to runforgod.com. If you have questions about your salvation, click on the Peace with God tab. There's nothing more important. Thanks for joining us today.